And these four songs in this section follow the same pattern as the servant songs. This means the first and fourth of each of these songs are reports, reports of what will take place. And the second and third are testimonies. Now the first song is about status and task in both cases. The second is about ministry and the objective, which we'll look at today. The third is about personal commitment. And then the fourth is about the completion of work that is undertaken. That's why if you think back to the fourth servant song and how rough that song was, and then the fourth anointed songs, they both are about the completion of work that takes place. Number one to the servant, and then number f the fourth one here is what the anointed one does as part of completing his work. In the first anointed song that we saw in 59, 15 through 21, we see the Jesus himself donning garments of both salvation and vengeance. Today, when we look at the second anointed song in 61, this covers both days of Advent 1 and Advent 2, first of favor and then of vengeance. And today, as the, as the second anointed song, as the second servant song said, the anointed one speaks about himself and his ministry. And then after his testimony in verses 1 through 4, we get a tailpiece that follows, just like all the servant songs had. But the common theme we're going to see throughout today is transformation. Transformation. And the song seems to match or follow the beginning of, of the mention of this servant that we powerfully saw in 5921. 59.21. If you want to write down and look back at it, that was a key where Jesus was talking about himself involved in this. We see that God's work is being commissioned to the Son, or as we will call him throughout this, just at the end of Isaiah, the Anointed One. Now we're going to look at this passage in two sections. One through four we're going to call the first testimony of the anointed one. And then five through nine is transformation confirmed. Transformation confirmed, five through nine. So let's go over the passage. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, an oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, 
that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But you shall be called priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there will be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, there shall be, there shall, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you so much that we see you're alive and, and, and speaking to us. We see you all throughout this. And to us, that's amazing. That's amazing that this Old Testament is, is just giving this, this whole plan of the day of favor with you and the, a day of vengeance for your enemies. Father, we're so thankful by reading this that we are your friends and your loved ones. And, and we just want to be able to quiet our hearts and our minds and really focus on you in this passage. Holy Spirit, just come now and be with us. Help us to clear anything in our minds that's blocking us. Help us to really focus, Holy Spirit, on, on your word that you spoke into Isaiah that he shared to us. Father, we also want to lift up the Crespos, Chris and Chelsea. Chelsea, as she recovers, just be with her body. May it bring her, may you bring her blood pressure down and just comfort her. And may little Sean, we thank you for the fight in this little boy. And we want to pray that and thank you so much for his strength that he came out early, but he is a fighter and he will get through this. We just love you so much. Amen. So the cool thing, we're going to go to verses 1 through 4. It's called the first testimony of the anointed one in verse 1. And this is a special section in Isaiah. And how do we know this? How do we know this is a special section? Well, this is what Jesus used this passage to kick off, to officially kick off his ministry. And we see that in Luke 
4.18. So the first advent, when it was time for Jesus to begin, this is what he spoke. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery to the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And if you remember, he didn't get a popular reaction. People didn't stand up and applaud and, and say, thank you, we've been waiting for this. You know, where have you been, Jesus? But we're so glad to have you. He was in his hometown where people knew him. And then what he did afterwards really sent him off. So we see, we see a lot of talking, but it's actions. And you're going to see a lot of action in this part. So Jesus said that, and they weren't really upset or anything. They, were, they may not have been paying attention. But afterwards, he sat down in the seat that was designed for those in authority. So he backed it up. What he said, he now backed up with his actions. He sat in that seat. We know after that, they wanted to stone him. They thought, that's the kid from down the street. What is he doing? You know, we haven't seen anything. We just heard accounts of his action, but now he's gone too far. He is in that seat. So we all know what happened. They were desiring to push him down a hill and stone him, and then I would love to have seen that, what happened. Hopefully we'll have like the heavenly YouTube when we get there and we can play back this, this Bible passage and see, because you got to think all these people are screaming, and it's the same type of crowd that took Stephen out and stoned him. They were all yelling. They were grinding their teeth. They had disrobed. They were ready for action. And they pushed Jesus to the edge. Then all of a sudden, they just parted, and he walked through and went on his way. How cool must that have been to see? But he's announcing in this passage that he got from Luke 61 that this is the first advent, and now he is fully engaged, fully engaged. So what is foretold in Scripture, what is foretold, everything we've seen, here's one that took place, took place. Some of the ones we're still waiting for, but this took place. And now we're going to take a look at some of these announcements about this. Like Isaiah 11, 2 through 5. Isaiah 11, 2 through 5. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of, uh, spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in that fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord, respect and, and obedience. He will not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ear hears, but with righteousness. He shall judge the poor and decide the equity with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, sword of the spirit. With the breath of his lips, he shall 
kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Isaiah 42.1, to keep up this theme. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. Again, there we go. It is right there. Isaiah 42.16, I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know, in the past that they have not known. I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light and the rough places into level ground. These things that these are the things I do and I do not forsake them. Psalm 45, 6 and 7. That people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form light and create the darkness. I make well-being and I create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. So we see God's prophetic passages here have now taken place in this Luke passage. In fact, today, verses 1 through 3, 1 through 3 are all about action. It shows us that during the time of Christ on earth in the first advent, it was full action, fully engaged. We see action verbs here. In this section, we see them like bring, bind, proclaim, opening, proclaim, comfort, grant, give. And we know all these verbs lead to God being glorified. We see God in verse 1, the sovereign God, fully in charge. We are to remember that all through this section that he is able to fully save, but also fully avenge his enemies. And I know you're saying, okay, Bill, no, no kidding, we know that. But it's that last part that people will always tend to forget, right? It's, it's those that we could be praying about because the people that will forget about avenging aren't, don't belong to Jesus now. And they're thinking, you know, I'm a good person. I'm okay. You know, just last week, I helped somebody. I opened the door for him. That's not what it takes. That's not what it takes. And one of the main things that's going to help them, because they ha can't help themselves, is us, right? Us praying for the people in our lives that don't get it. Whether we, we share Christ with them, but also the big thing is time alone, seriously praying that God calls them. Um, we can forget our requirements to do this, and all the less, also the lessons we see in the Bible, right? So we see the parable of that persistent widow that shows us that by coming to God, not an evil judge who gave her what she wanted, but God who's wanting to, by seriously bringing them before him, we will see major change in their lives. Because the thing is, why do we want them to go down without a fight, right? Right? 
without us being involved in the fight. So we see the Spirit of God coming down upon the Anointed One, and that's Jesus. And that will show us that God has not only given this assignment, but the power. He gave the assignment and the power to complete his work. So this marks the two advents taking action. First, salvation, and then one day, vengeance. So first advent, and it tells us here that, and Jesus confirmed it in Luke, that he was to preach and bring the good news to the poor. The poor are the downtrodden, the disadvantaged, those that are held back by others that should be encouraging them and offering them opportunities, but aren't. He's also coming to bind up or bandage the brokenhearted. And this is cool when you think about it because bind up and bandage shows us the personal relationship that Jesus brings. Soothing and caring, healing and bringing restoration and bringing wholeness. The heart part and brokenhearted, it's a versatile word in the Hebrew that covers any human breakdown from an emotional one to conviction of sin. The big picture here, we see proclaim liberty. These words are really cool because it takes us to what's called the year of Jubilee in Leviticus. And this was the big picture of freedom, right? This was the big reset in the Jewish in the Jewish tradition. This was the 50th year. You know, you had seven years of seven, but this was the big one. This means there no longer was any debt. You were free to get your land back that you may have sold during a down period. Uh, you were no longer a slave. And not only that, you didn't walk out empty-handed. So it gives us that big picture. If that's what man did, under God, what's God going to do for us when he proclaims liberty? So the second advent, Jesus will come back and everything will be settled. It's not going to take long. It's going to be settled. And his people will be released from every form of earthly bondage that you can imagine or picture not only will prison doors be open, basically get the idea in your mind that they will be blown off and they're never going to appear again. Verse 2, we see a repetitive use of the word proclaim here and it's there to reinforce and summarize verse 1. What is coming is a year of favor, the first advent, and then a day of vengeance, the second advent. Jesus only began the first advent in Luke 4, and he was saving the second part, vengeance, for the second one. And we need to watch the words here. It's not a mistake. It's not casual. Jesus was on earth for a while, during the first advent and we are still in that period of salvation 
And verse 2 starts off with describing it as the year of the Lord's favor, but then moves to a day of vengeance. Do not miss that. Do not miss that. In Isaiah 49, 8, it says, and it's a time we see the servant come and says, Thus says the Lord, In a time of favor I have answered you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. And last week in 60.10, we see, that, we see that favor being extended from the tribes of Israel to the Gentiles. And it says, Foreigners shall build up your walls, their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I strike you, but in my favor I have mercy on you. And by extending this favor to the Gentiles, it draws the world the ones that love him, to Zion. So the anointed one explains that the year of favor has come. Jesus took the prophecy and in Luke 4:18 announced that God's favor was now in action. Then, the second advent, he will accomplish the vengeance described last week in very short order. And we saw in 59:17, he put on the righteousness. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing, and he wrapped himself in zeal, or that desire, that jealousy for God, as a cloak. And what's cool is we have gone through Zechariah, so we know by going through Zechariah, how all the nations pooled up and surrounded Jerusalem to wipe them out, and how quickly, how quickly they were destroyed. In fact, it will be so swift, swift and quick, that in this chapter, in the second anointed song, it's only mentioned in one small sentence, and it's only eight let words, eight words that make up this whole time of destruction. Then after that, we move quickly into a period of comfort. Action again is given to the anointed one. And we know the anointed one will not be comforting those because they witness the destruction. And the end of verse 2 says, the role of the anointed is to comfort those who mourn from things that they have gone through. God said it in 57.18. 57.18, I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners. And the anointed one will be the one carrying this out. There's no delegation. It's the anointed one. So comforting those who mourn is a picture we get of Jesus comforting all the sadness in our life. Now the picture given for us to equate this to, the biblical picture that we're getting to this, is a picture of when Joseph, his brothers, their family, and the servants that supported them came from Egypt back to the land of, of Jacob and the family tomb. And they came to bury Joseph. 
and they mourned for him. They mourned for him for seven days. And there is great lamenting and crying. Can you go see what, there's someone out there? So that's the picture we get. Great lamenting and crying, powerful crying for seven days. This is the picture we get of great suffering that will be comforted. Isaiah 57.3, again, takes God's promise into action. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners. The anointed one will restore comfort. Verse 3, more action, but now we will see gifts in action as well. To grant to those who born in Zion, or we can look at it as rights will be assigned to those who mourn in Zion. Rights will be assigned to those who mourn in Zion. What does this mean? It means repentance will bring visible transformation, which is a love of Jesus. God will give us a crown, or it says here a headdress, instead of ashes. Headdress here is the same thing we see in Exodus. It's the same thing we see in Exodus that the priests got like this turban. That's what they got. And that was in Exodus 39:28. So we can miss this in the English language. So understand what this, this passage is showing us. The words for instead of mean more for that. Welcome. So when your mom asks you if you want ice cream instead of broccoli, she's asking if you want the, the best dessert ever or the, one of the worst vegetables ever. Instead, instead of here means God will use the anointed one to use the exact equivalence or right substitution in his gift over the sadness. And when I said substitute, did that ring a bell? Because we have the perfect picture of it in the Old Testament. So if we go to Genesis 22:13, Genesis 20:13, you see, and Abraham lifted up his eyes, because remember he'd gone up there, God had asked him to sacrifice his son. So he went up there to do that. I remember Isaac was like, okay, we got everything except the sacrifice, Dad. And he kept saying, God will provide. So here we are. Abraham looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So here's the substitution we see. Instead of Isaac, the miracle son, the one they didn't think they would have that God gave them, and they was to take, give him up as a sacrifice. Instead, this perfect ram was given in his place. And God enhances this section by matching the words. They are almost identical as we go through this. God will use Jesus to exactly replace the hurt 
with the remedy. So let's look at how. Since ashes of mourning were put on the head and they were smeared, now instead of ashes, you will have this beautiful headdress or crown. Oil was for times of gladness and not sorrow, right? And immediately that may take you toward the 23rd Psalm that says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And in Psalm 45, 7, Psalm 45, 7, we see that the oil of gladness explains that the king had a life, a life evident of love for God. It says, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. How cool a report card is to get that when God says, you, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, I am your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness. Awesome. Then garments of praise. Garment is a picture of a complete wrap. So the faint of heart or despair refers to what is dull or litmus, like a dimly lit wick. So here is this infusion of new life that sparks, right? And it brings forth loud praise, which is replacing the people in a low spirit with fully charged up, wrapped in this all-encompassing garment, reflecting, reflecting how awesome it is to feel Jesus on the inside of you and his comfort and love. It's a picture of being totally renewed in your spirit. And then that they will be called. We see something just happen. We went from Jesus stating will what he will do to now a statement of what he has achieved, that they will be called. So what, what's happening? So first we see a new name is given, right? There's a new name given, Oats, and a new status associated with that name, with the Oats. Righteousness. Righteousness. So they will be called. This phrase points out the reality or the achievement that they will have. And because they are a planting of God, it shows us that our place and our new character is a divine action and it demonstrates that it's not from our abilities there's nothing we can do so only because of this awesomeness this renewal in our spirit being called oaks large trees powerful of righteousness this is all so god gets the glory god gets the glory verse four the second achievement of the annoyed one is repossession and restoration. They shall build, they shall build matches they may be, that comes out of verse 3. And this links the two results of the actions of Jesus. They're linked. So we see new people, oaks, and fresh results. Build up the ancient ruins. 
What we have seen in Isaiah from, from chapter 49, verse 1, is a picture of the people returning from Babylon and, and their captivity. And they return to what? A destruction of Jerusalem. Do you remember the, as they were going to rebuild this, right? You had the young men that didn't know what the, older, the old temple looked like. And the older men just sat there weeping because they remembered the beauty of the, of the first temple that Solomon built and then what their sins did and now they're looking at nothing. There's nothing and they have to rebuild it. So there's a need we see for a great recovery. And the need is to enter into the kingdom of God, enter into the kingdom of God, but n- not this land where they're currently seeing. There's, remember, as we've gone through Isaiah's warnings, who lived there but animals, right? Remember all the different species that God would tell them would be living there? They need to enter into their promised land, their inheritance. This is their spiritual land where they will continue to commune with God. We see they need to go into this land where every breakdown from the past is mended, no matter when it occurred, and they have a lot of them. They have a lot of need for restoration and repair. All their long-standing or inherited Remember, they have their own, but they also had the past brokenness. All that will be repaired by the anointed one. By the anointed one. That's a huge miracle. Didn't take me long to say it, but when you dwell in that, I mean, you talk about everything we've read about the sinful people to now they're coming in and they will be transformed. It's a huge miracle. Okay, now moving to 5 through 9. Transformation confirmed. This is the tailpiece to the second anointed song. Remember like all the servant songs had a tailpiece. Here is this one. And this tailpiece falls into two parts. Two parts. The first part is 5 through 6, or part of 6, and it notes the subservience of the nations and the second part 7 through 9 covers the covenant of the Lord with his people and these four verses seem to all pivot off the last verse in 7 it says they shall have everlasting joy keep that in mind as we go through this in verses 5 and 6 we see recognition by the nations and a nearness, and a nearness to God. In the latter part of verse 6 and almost all of 7, we see compensation by the nations, a reversal of shame, and transformation into the role God has for his people. In verse 8, we see an explanation of the compensation, divine justice, and covenant. In verse 9, we see recognition by the nations and blessed by God. 
Also, I want to point out before we get started, if you notice that verse 5 and a part of 6 matches the same pattern as verse 9. In each of the two first two lines, it expresses the relationship of the nations to Zion's people, and then the second to the relationship of Zion, Zion's people to God. So we go from the relationship of the nations to Zion's people to Zion's people to God. Okay, verse 5. As we look through this, no, it is not a picture of a slave state, and the strangers here are not second-class citizens. What we see here is glad cooperation between the two. Stand here that's mentioned gives us a picture of these strangers taking responsibility for the work as they continue to progress in its success. So they're overseers, they're, they're supervisors, frontline managers, but they're taking control to make sure we see that success. Verse 6, but you shall be called priests of the Lord. But you shall be called priests of the Lord. This action, yet to come, was first explained a long time ago. God told Moses this promise in Exodus. In Exodus 19, 4 through 6, we see, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all my peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel." This is cool, right? Because it ties to what we know now in the New Testament. In Christ, the New Testament tells us about the priesthood of believers. Pulled out a big book after going through this and read Wayne Grudem, and it reminded me and reminds us that Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2.9, 1 Peter 2.9, that we are part, like we take communion that we learned in Thessalonians, we are part of this spiritual temple. We're the, we're the building blocks in it. And Hebrew tells us that as priests, we are to continually, we are to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. What are our sacrifices? Our good works based, based on God's requirements. When we sacrificially give to serve others, to please God. And by this, we are functioning in our roles as his priests, in this priesthood of the believer. And we are to do this daily, he says, daily. And at least, and at least throughout the day, have his name on our lips in prayer and in praise. 
Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1 says our act of spiritual worship is to present ourselves again. It's reinforcing through his word. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Please note, oftentimes we try to determine what we think is holy and acceptable to God. Nope, that doesn't work. That's not what it says here. It says we need to spend time. We need to spend time in his word, praying for understanding about what is holy and what is acceptable to God. And we're going to dwell more on that when we get to verse 8. So, 6, still. Eat the wealth of the nations and in their glory boast. Eat the wealth of nations and in their glory boast. The main understanding of this is that the people are functioning as priests and they're going to boast in God because of his glory and that he deserves due to his saving work. That these people from all around the world are now here. Verse 7. <coughs> Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. The word shame here is used more than like embarrassment. It means reaping shame. No chance of hope. Being exposed as a fraud. And you know what I mean. I think a lot of us have those, that streaming service in our mind. I used to say tape, used to say recording. Years ago they might have said cassette, now it's streaming, right? That's the term that tells us you're not good, you're not worthy, you're a fraud. This is what's being taken away. Portion means inheritance, and it gives us a picture of allocation. When you think of inheritance, you think of promise. No, that's not what it means here. It means allocation. This shows us the check is not in the mail. It already is in our spiritual bank account. We got it. To add the word double here makes us understand that we're talking about words that mean plenty, amply, fully, abundantly. It's like when you go to the pantry door, you won't wonder how much is left of what you're looking for. It's more like you will wonder if you're able to shut the door once you grabbed what you need. It's just that fullness. You got it all. And like I said early, earlier, the last part of, of seven, it forms that pivot of the poem. This summarized the previous section of, of verse seven, but adds more to it. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion they shall have everlasting joy. Possess, like I said before, as an inheritance in other translation, but this Hebrew word means always to possess. Always to possess. 
So this double portion is already in the possession. The people are seen here as in full rejoice mode. Full rejoice mode. And guess what? It lasts forever. Forever. Verse 8, I will faithfully give them their recompense. God has promised an abundant recompense for his people. Now, it's not because they had to deal with great difficulty and they're due a break from all that. It is because God is devoted. He's devoted to his justice, his justice. And know, we know at this point that he is promising a year of favor and a day of vengeance. This is reminding us that his salvation is just, but just as equally just will be his vengeance. Now the verse is starting with the word for, the word for, and this is theologically vital for us. And this section moves into a first person so we ensure we realize that who's speaking. Who's speaking here? Robbery and wrong is an interesting thing to get. It means robbery in the matter of wrong. And that still can be confusing to us. Um, so in the Hebrew, when you look at that, it means robbery and burnt offering. And that can start to clear up a little bit of what we know. Um, it's surprising to hear that phrase to, to us in the 21st century. Um, but it's there to make a point, right? I mean, it means God will be faithful in giving them the recompense. And a burnt offering in that time, they knew exactly what this meant. They knew what it meant. Um, there were rules and requirements of when you need to supply a an offering for sacrifice to be burned, and there was the type of animal and the type of action that required it. And it was marked with clear obedience to follow. To God, there is no half measure in obedience. God then, as in now, requires unreserved, unreserved commitment from all of his people. So picture this. Can you imagine sitting down with God? You got your calendar open and saying, oh God, guess what? I am just so slammed this month. I am dealing with the created. So I have no time on my calendar to deal with the creator. How do you think that would go over? Would you be looking at a year or a day? So God says, you are my people and you will be, worship me daily. And God has made it in the time we live now to be a blessing and a curse. Now what I mean by that, it is easy for us to commune with him with the tools that we have nowadays. We don't have to go struggle to get the written word. We didn't have to struggle when there would be a written word in our language. 
We have it at our fingertips in devices and in the Bible. But that same device can also lead us through wormholes, right? We can get caught up looking at memes or anything else. So we need to understand what the access to his word means and understand his requirements and perform perform the works he desires as we carry out this mission here. Because God's saying, anything less you give me is robbery. You're robbing me. So, I mean, why shouldn't, with that being said, why shouldn't we go all out? I mean, won't it be worth it if we were to go all out? And see, you guys just get, here, get to hear this once, and maybe more on tape. I've had to live with this all week going through it, and it's just convicting. We have a rich life. Maybe not in earthly wealth, but we have a rich life in God. And as the world suffers his vengeance, as the world quickly suffers his vengeance, we will have a time forever with God's rich recompense, his generosity, his love, and all that will bring us everlasting joy. Why not go through that? Why not run the race hard now, right? Verse 9, offspring relates to the same use that we saw in that awesome verse in 59.21 when it starts making it clear to us that he's here. So this section, 5 through 9, is focused on transformation, and verse 9 here is the capstone of that. God's people will build, they will be transformed. They're going to be the salt and the light in the world, proving that they are distinct and set apart. This will be, and it is, an act of divine blessing. So, and it has to be, right here, has to be referring to the time period from Advent 1 to Advent 2, and I say that because after the second advent, it's only going to be God's people. They'll all be the same. But right now it's saying God's people will be distinct. So it's got to be talking about the period between Advent 1 and Advent 2. So right now, people should be able to see that you are blessed as you display the qualities God provides in his people. This is true, right? I'm sure you've had this happen as people come up to you and ask you, why are you different? What sets you apart? Why did you act the way you did in this circumstance instead of blowing up like I would have? Why do you face things different? Why are you always cheerful? Basically saying, I want to know why you're different. Then you can give them an answer. We saw a lot of action in this second anointed song. And we need to remember what the prize is at the end. Paul tells us that we are in a race and we need to run that race to win. And you run hard to win. Make no mistake. And I tell people this, Satan wants you to slow you down. Imagine if you're running on a track like a 440 track, Satan wants you to step into the infield. Take a break. You've had a busy day. 
you've had a busy time, just come in and relax. You can always get up tomorrow, right? Jesus forgives you. Just take a break. Come sip some water. Relax. That just takes you out of the game, folks. It takes you out of the game. Why not get up and keep moving? That's why we have each other. And it's no shame to say, hey, look, I took a break. Help me get back on. Help me be accountable for how I'm moving through my day. And we need to remember that it's a daily battle to win souls for Christ. A daily battle. And you think, well, all I'm doing is praying. That's huge. And we've seen that in the parables, right? That persistent widow, you know, got justice. How much more would it be when someone's in heaven and they realize it's because you prayed for them over and over? Oh. Prayer may be little, but it's a key, folks. It's a key. So next week we move into the third anointed song, so stay tuned. I'm really looking forward to the fourth servant song. I'm not praying for Al to be sick. I'll let him give give it, but it's going to be a cool passage, cool passage. So please read ahead. Read it, cross-reference it with Revelation. It is a cool passage. All right, let's pray. Dear Jesus, we want to thank you so much for this time that we get to be before you, hearing your word, seeing your incredible prophecies coming into action. We know many of them that did when you talked about Cyrus and you gave his name and said he would be the one to release people from captivity. But we see you talking about this servant and the anointed one. And we see the first advent take place. And Jesus says, I'm here. It's mine. I got it. And God, we see you anointing him with your spirit to do this work. So you didn't leave him empty-handed. You gave him full power. You gave him all. And then when he comes back again, you will make him king of king and lord of lords. How awesome is that thought. May it be the driving force in our day. May we wake up realizing that we want to look to that time where we will be in your land helping to build up and and just taking care of everyone in a time of everlasting joy forever. Amen.